This week we celebrated Veterans Day, as we mentioned earlier in the service, and honored the people who have served our country in various ways. But in China, they celebrated a different holiday. It was Singles Day, and it's, uh, it's November 11th because the numerals for that day are 1111. It's all about the, the one. And so it began in the 90s when college students began celebrating the fact that they were unattached that they had no couple, and so they didn't celebrate Valentine's Day, they celebrated Singles Day, and it's grown to be the biggest consumer holiday on the planet. This year, the Chinese spent $9 billion buying presents for themselves on Singles Day. Now, before we become too critical and talk about how outrageous that is, we need to remind ourselves that this year we'll be able to walk from the Thanksgiving table straight into Macy's because they're going to open at 6 o'clock. In fact, Pyramid Management Group has said any of the stores in their malls that don't open on Thanksgiving night will be fined because they did not open. That's where we are. We're really into being able to buy the stuff that we want when we want it, that we become very selfish, and that's part of our culture. We're taught at, the, at an early age that so much of life is about pleasing ourselves, and we do this in lots of places. This week I was in Walmart. seems like we have a Walmart story every week right now, but I was in Walmart, had got all the stuff I needed, some groceries and things, but I had somewhere I needed to be, okay? I was on a schedule, and I needed to buy this stuff, get in the car, go home, unload, and then get to the place I needed to be. So I was a little hurry, should have gone to the self-checkout, didn't do it because I thought, I've got too much stuff, get in line, seems like a short line, but this lady who's checking out is talking a lot. And as she's talking, you know, she's, she's distracted and finally get all this stuff that's checked and then she has to pay for it. She pulls out her money and she wants to pull out 16 cents so she doesn't get a lot of change back. And she pays for it, gets her money back, has to get it just right in her wallet, then has to get the wallet just right in her purse. And once that's all done, she proceeds to continue the conversation with the cashier. And I'm thinking, you know, if I aim this buggy, It was all about me, right? It was all about my schedule and what I needed to get done. And whatever was going on with the lives of other people was really very unimportant to me at that moment. And sometimes we're, we're just that way. We get lost in our own needs, our own wants, our own schedule, our, our own whatever, and we forget the needs of other people. Sometimes we even carry that into the life of the church, into our church life as well. I mean, we would really sort of like it if Matt would consult us to make sure that he's, you know, chosen songs that we like, right? I mean, it would be even better if, if I could make a list and just give him and, and make sure he's singing something that I really like every week. Many of us wish that we were sort of in charge of the thermostat in church, so the temperature would be set just where, you know, I want it. When we got another activity in church, we want to make sure it's in my favorite room so they have the really comfortable chairs in there. It's all about me. And sometimes it's easy for us in church because we like being together and we like doing the stuff that church people do, having worship and Bible study and sharing in a meal. We get so focused on ourselves and doing the things that we enjoy and focusing inward that we forget the people who are on the outside. 
And we forget that some of the things that we do really don't make a lot of sense to people who have not been doing this for a while. And we forget to do things that are meaningful and engaging to people who might be exploring Jesus because that's uncomfortable. And yet we have the sense that we've been called to more. That we've been given a mission, a responsibility to share this message that was given to us, this message about Jesus with other people. So what do we do with that? What do we do about that? Today I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Because in this chapter, Paul's really can help us see a picture of what kind of church we need to be to focus in a different direction. This is the 10th week in this 11-week-long series where we're thinking about the mission and vision of our church. This week, we're thinking about the fact that a church which loves others, and that's this last big section, a church which loves others puts others first. What does that look like? That's very different from this self-centered way of approaching all of life that we've been thinking about. Now, in Ephesians, the, the second half, and we've sort of been stuck there, because Paul lays out, okay, this is what church life should look like. This is what churches should be like, and he paints this picture of church life. And we see him doing that in a really effective way, so it helps us translate over how we can express the mission and vision that we've been given. Now, that begins up in the section that that Matt read earlier and continues on down. We're going to begin today in verse 29. This is what Paul says. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And that's sort of not surprising, right? We have to be careful with the way we talk. But then he takes it a little further. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So Paul says, all right, be careful about the way you speak. Use the right kind of language. We expect that in a scriptural command. God has laid out how we should speak, and this is right, so we should do it. Makes sense. But Paul takes it beyond just do this because it's right and it pleases God to. We have an obligation to speak carefully because we are in community. We share this community of faith. It's relational. So our our responsibilities in our speech are, are partly due to the fact that what I say has an effect on the church. What you say has an effect on other people in the church. And so Paul is emphasizing this relational aspect to the fact that what we say can have a positive impact or a negative one. And so we have to ask ourselves, is what I'm about to say is going to build somebody up? Is it going to encourage somebody in their faith? Or is it going to be critical and tear someone down? You see, we get lost in the, hey, I need to say this because this is what I'm feeling and I've got to vent and I've got to let this out. We get lost in that self-centered approach and forget this responsibility to be building up the church even with our words. Paul goes on, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. A little surprising. Paul has to tell the church people not to be brawling. But anyway, he does. Brawling and slander along with every form of malice. On the other hand, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, the beginning of that, verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. That one little phrase has been lifted out of this context and used to mean a thousand different things. People have said you're grieving the Holy Spirit and has 
nothing to do with this passage. That's not a, a phrase that appears very often in Scripture. In the Old Testament, it appears in a passage in which a prophet is saying, listen, God has chosen you to be his people. He said he's going to treat you in this way. He's going to take care of you. You are going to be his people, but you have chosen disobedience. You have chosen to go your own, own way, and because of that, it has grieved the Holy Spirit. Okay? If we take this passage, put those things together, and I think Paul's referring back to the other one. This is in the context of relationships. This is in the context of be careful how you talk in the church because it's going to have an effect on other people and don't fight, basically, is what verse 31 says. And in the middle of that, we have this this little command, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. If we put it back in its context and read it with that Old Testament passage speaking into it, it seems to me that it's saying God expects us to treat one another in a particular way in the church, and when we don't do that, we have grieved the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, get rid of all these things that tear relationships apart. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice, all those things will destroy relationships. And they're indicative of relationships that are falling apart. Why? Because people are inward focused, focused on the self. Instead, we're to be the kind of people who show kindness and compassion and forgiveness. So when we're wronged, our approach is not let me tell you how bad the other person is, because what's that going to do? Tear the church up. Instead, our approach is kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. The kind of forgiveness that was shown to us by Jesus. Now, as we come to the end of chapter 4, I don't think there's a whole lot there that's really shocking. I mean, it's great instruction. There's a lot of application to it, but it's not surprising. But then chapter 5, Paul says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Not surprising. So how do we do that? Verse 2, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself, himself up for us, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So what's Paul saying? He's saying, follow God's example. That sounds difficult, and it sounds even more difficult when he tells us what that means. What it means is God chose to become one of us, die on a cross, give everything up for who? For us, people who were full of malice and bitterness and anger and brawling and all those things Paul has listed. If you go back all the way to the middle of chapter 4, he's laid it all out. While we were those people... God chose to come in human form and die on a cross. He gave himself up to form this community of faith. So what does that tell us? Follow God's example and be willing to give yourself up for others. Now when we hear that, we want to say, hang on. Hang on, Paul. Isn't this one of those places where you're sort of exaggerating? You're making this a lot bigger so we see the point, hey, be uh, a good person. Hey, make some time to help people when you can. Maybe that's what Paul's saying. The problem is that's not what Paul's saying. 
The problem is there's no way to find our way out of this really challenging command to give of ourselves for other people. Paul doesn't give us a loophole here. He just moves on to something else. He's done. And so is he seriously saying that we should give something up, that we should give our lives for other people. He's saying just that. And so if we had to take this and think about, okay, what does this, what does this mean for my life? I might say it this way. Elevate the needs of others. Okay? Elevate the needs of others. We are naturally selfish. I know my needs, right? I know what's going on in my life. I know where I need help and I know where I need a blessing. I know all of those things. But what Paul is saying is, look less at that and more at the needs of the people around you, even if it requires a sacrifice. Elevate the needs of others. What does that look like? Well, we have to identify those needs. And in fact, what I want us to do is think a little bit about how our thinking should change this week. And next week, we're going to continue the thought because we actually had one vision team for these last two vision statements, puts others first and serves those in need. So next week, I'm going to give you some opportunities, some challenges, some, uh, some ways to put this in action. Today, I want us to especially think about how our thinking needs to change. So we need to identify the needs in the world. Okay? Identify the needs of the world. And when we say that, it almost sounds like, uh, that's just too big. I mean, there's suffering and there's poverty throughout our world. We know that half the world lives on $2 a day or less. And we go, there's no way. I mean, that's huge. How could we as a church solve the problem of world poverty? We can't. How could we solve the problem of disease around the world? We can't. See, that's what we do. It's easy to say the problems are so big, We can't solve them, and that just paralyzes us. So instead of thinking about all the things that we can't do, what we need to do is to begin to think about the things that we can do. There are things that we can do. I mean, could we say, well, we're not going to solve this whole Ebola crisis, but we could give to an organization that's taking medical supplies right where they're needed. We could do that. We're not going to solve the problem of rural poverty, especially among children, but we could send some shoeboxes filled with some things that may make life a little easier for some kids that would receive nothing. We, we can do that. And so when we as God's people begin to focus on not what, what's, what's impossible, but what is possible for us, it changes the perspective And we begin to take action. We need to focus and identify the needs around us in the world, but also the needs of the lost. Now, we spent a lot of time talking about that last Sunday, right? Mission Sunday. We're thinking about mission work being done in Africa and Europe and Haiti and lots of different places that we have created partnerships with organizations and individuals who are working across the globe to share the message of Jesus with people who have not been reached. I mean, we live in such a different place. If we were in America and, and we decided, hey, I want to know more about Jesus, there's a place in every town to go and find out more. But in so many places throughout our world, there is nowhere to go. And so we have this 
responsibility, this opportunity as Christians to help supply that need. Now again, can we take the gospel everywhere? No, impossible for us. Can we help take the gospel some places? Yes. But it's not just around the world, is it? It's in our own community. There are people in our own community who have not been reached for Jesus, and we have a responsibility to them too. And it goes back to the things we were talking about earlier. It's easy for us to focus in on what we like to do and what is comfortable for us and what builds us up and and makes us feel good, and it's easy to forget that sometimes we might have to change things to make our worship experiences, our Bible studies, our fellowship meaningful and engaging to people who haven't been doing this for a lifetime. That's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's unpleasant. And yet it's what we need to do because people need to know Jesus. And so we have this responsibility to identify and meet the needs of the lost. And finally, needs in our community. And there are people around us who are hurting People who don't have enough right in our community. What can we do? We have a backpack program. There's a food bank. There's lots of different things that are available, and we're going to talk more about these things next week. We can give you an opportunity to engage some of these needs. Now, as we think about what Paul said here, follow God's example, his example of giving everything up. We really do want to explain that away. Because we're not prepared to give up ourselves, our lives, for the people around us. And we might say, surely, surely Paul didn't mean that. But he points to the example of Jesus, who died on a cross for my sins and your sins. And when we begin to think about Paul himself, how did he die? Tradition tells us he died in Rome because of his willingness to share the message of Jesus. How did Peter die? On a cross in Rome because of his commitment to Jesus Christ and sharing that message. All the apostles except John, as far as we know, died because they were committed to sharing the message of Jesus. Just how serious was Paul about living this life and giving up himself for this cause of sharing Jesus. How serious was he? Dead serious. Let's pray together. God, it's so easy for us to get caught up in what we want to accomplish, what we need, what we would like to see happen, what makes us comfortable. God, help us to go beyond that which means we may be uncomfortable. Help us to be the kind of people who are willing to make ourselves uncomfortable so that someone might come to know Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Maybe today you need to respond to that message. You want to respond in faith and to be baptized into Christ, or maybe you're already a Christian and you want to serve with this body as a member. If you've made either one of those decisions, let us know. Come forward as we sing our invitation. Let's stand together.